0: Right. Thank you for joining us for this Monday weekend recap. We got a lot to go over today. UFC Vegas 49, Bellator 275, one full circle. Whew. PFL Con- Challenger Series Week 2. Whew. One of one of us invested 64.99 into this thing. I ain't gonna tell you who. You'll have to wait and find out. Yes. And I'm sure they're feeling like a big sucker right now. <laughs> <laughs> and much more But before we really get into the nitty gritty Dominic, how are you doing on this Monday morning?
1: I'm doing great, man It was a really good weekend It was jam-packed from quite literally Friday morning <laughs> Until Saturday night uh, So it was a great week Got to uh, finished out my grad school class so I'm down to the final two classes Got to hang out with friends and family for the fights uh, It was just a really good weekend, man I'm excited to kick off the first week of March well, I guess this is coming out on the 28th, but you guys get it. It's going to be the first week of March this week, uh, which is crazy. But we've got big fights on the horizon. We're just getting started, heading into the springtime. Noah, how are you?
0: I feel good. I, I watched a lot of MMA this weekend. Spent a lot of money watching that MMA, betting on that MMA. Uh, this sport has me by the balls, man. And, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. But right. sometimes you check that bank account and you just go, hmm. I'm sure there was a least costly hobby than doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. um, regardless, before we really get into anything, Dominic, I want to give you a chance to remind everyone where they can follow us on social media.
1: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a little switcheroo here, but we got to get it out early. I got to let you guys know where to find us. You can find me personally on Twitter, on Instagram, at Deacely14. You can find the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at baj underscore podcast come interact and engage with us
0: is it it's underscore mma podcast right? wait what did i say you said underscore podcast
1: oh yeah b-a-j underscore <laughs> mma podcast sorry
0: as for me you can find me on twitter or instagram at nt baker underscore if you go to the link in my bio on either of those it'll take you to a link tree which will present you with a list of links to all the platforms the podcast on along with those social media platforms so that includes but it's not limited to The Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast. It's all on there. There's also a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout out to them. Of course. But now, let's get into it, Dominic. We start with UFC Vegas 49. In our headlining bout, Islam Makhachev Mm. gets the first round TKO of Bobby Green. I'm not even sure Bobby Green landed a shot. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it doesn't feel much different than the Dan Hooker bout, truth be told. It, it felt very much like the same type of bout. Islam immediately gets the takedown. Um, his opponent basically struggles to on the bottom, and then eventually Islam gets either the submission and the hooker fight here. He uh, uses the ground and pound to put him away some nasty hammer fist that felt like it was a bit of a statement there at the yeah. end. So your thoughts on the fight? And I guess, you know, how do you feel about each guy as they move forward from the spell?
1: I mean, what other way could it have went, truthfully? I mean, we kind of all had this suspicion of at least what Islam was going to do. It was more so a matter, and I remember asking before the fight started, how long before this fight takes place on the ground, how long is Bobby going to last? And that's not even a slight to Bobby. I mean, this guy came in on 10 days notice when he accepted the fight um, and got in here. And he just tried his best. He went toe for toe. But at the end of the day, Islam does this to not only a guy on short notice, but he does it to his last 10 opponents, man. The last four via finish. He's an absolute savage. He's an animal. And he is, in fact, next for that title shot. Noah, it was... It was just a flawless performance. Uh, He went out there. He was on the feet a little longer than I expected early, which I was like, "Mm." I mean, if you're going to take chances, probably not the guy to do it with Bobby Green. But when he got him up to the cage and got the takedown, it was just the beginning of the end, man. So what a performance for Islam. He just solidifies a spot there as a title challenger. For Bobby Green, there's absolutely no negative takeaways for me. I mean, again, when you come in on short notice against a guy like Islam, you only have so many expectations to live up to him. And he's just so humble in defeat, man. His post-fight interviews are always so great. He's an amazing guy. Because he
0: got paid, I think. (laughs)
1: Yes, and it was an amazing platform for him. They did uh, showcase him a lot going into the fight with promos and whatnot. He deserves it. He's paid his dues in the UFC, and rightfully so now, to get his first main event slot. Hopefully he can get another one down the line with an actual training camp. But for now, Islam Makachev owns the night.
0: Yeah, I can't say I walked away going – uh, feeling like Bobby Green should get another main event spot after this. I feel like, you know, get another victory or two, and then he'll be right there again. I saw a lot of people throwing mm-hmm. out him versus Brad Rydell yeah, as a, a potential fight. fight. It's a really good fight. seems like Brad Rydell's getting matched up against everybody yeah. knocking on the door for top 15, but rightfully so. Um, I don't see Rydell versus Green as a main event, uh, personally. I, I don't think it's that caliber of fight. I mean, it's a great fight but it doesn't quite have the the star power that you would want as, like, your fight night main event. But, you know, if that's what happens, that's what happens. I think the bigger takeaway here, though, is about Islam Makachev and what's next for him. You came right out and said, title shot next. But there is still a debate going on, Dominic, surprisingly. Yeah. And, you know, there was, there was a – I mean, it feels like it's kind of been a debate Every step of the way, when Islam defeated Dan Hooker in the fashion he did, we were ready to put him next at the Charles uh, Oliveira-Dustin Poirier fight. Then the next week, Justin Gaethje has our fight of the year for 2021 with Michael Chandler, and we said, well, maybe Justin Gaethje should get the title shot. (laughs) Yeah but it was with the caveat that Islam could probably just wait even for the next. Right. One. Well, instead Islam takes a fight with Benil Dariush. Dariush falls out in steps, Bobby green, and he dominates him in the same fashion. He did Dan hooker. I say he gets a title fight next, but the, the other side of the debate as well, look at the level of competition he's beating. It's not his best win up to this day is Dan hooker. And that's like the number eight ranked guy in the world. Not exactly the resume to get you a title fight. But I say in this situation, Justin Gaethje is definitely getting the next. I mean, I think that's pretty much all but confirmed. Yeah. So Islam Makachev can't exactly help the fact that he's lost bouts with Rafael dos Anjos. Exactly. And now Benil Dariush. I mean, he was in those fights. Yes, I know. I think one time out of the three times that RDA and him were supposed to fight, I believe it was Islam that pulled out. But I mean, the other two times it's RDA, which no slight to those guys for pulling out. I mean, it's you're injured, you got COVID, whatever it might be, you got to do what you got to do. But he was in that battle like ready to go. His opponent didn't make it. We shouldn't hold that against him because he got he stayed on the card both times now. Gets replacement opponents. Dan Hooker, a great opponent, even on one month notice, makes him look like less than a top 10 caliber fighter. And then Bobby Green here, who had everything to gain from this matchup, and he disposed of him easily. Clearly, he should be the next guy, in my opinion.
1: Yes, thank you very much. I mean, I couldn't have put it any better. It's not to his detriment. He's done everything you can ask a fighter to do to earn a title fight. He's fighting people. Regardless of who it is, he doesn't care who it is because he's just going to go out and he's going to win. Hence, a 10-fight win streak, which is, I think, tied for the it's like the second most in the UFC. There's a 15 from Kamaru and then three guys that have won 10 straight, Volk, Oliveira, and now Islam Makachev. So he's now joined Elite Company. He's been sitting here waiting forever. He just added another notch to his resume. He is going to be or he should be facing the winner of Gaethje Oliveira, I know I saw ESPN MMA tweet out, I guess, Dana called Habib and ensured him, yes, Islam Makachev is next for the title. Dana, thank you for clarifying.
0: Well, I also found it interesting that after the fight, Islam seemed to already know that UFC 281 in the fall – will be in Abu Dhabi. Uh, kind of interesting. I think those guys might have a little bit of insight there. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I think it's pretty clear that's where they're going to shoot for that title fight. I think yeah. in fall, Islam uh, won't have to deal with the Ramadan. Uh, I know that's yeah, true. That, that that Habib had to kind of work around. So Islam will probably fight again in the fall. Winner of Gaethje, Oliveira, I would say is next. Now, maybe we should address this at bellator we had conor mcgregor in the crowd and mm-hmm. he seemed to be in a very good mood he he, he did <laughs> very energetic he was there from the first fight to the main event which you know a lot yeah. of people in his position probably wouldn't do so good on him um and he did an interview with uh i, believe, I forget how to pronounce his name it's like sean sihan sean C. yeah Han. he did a really good job and um one of the I guess, notes of the interview is that Conor is pretty committed and confident in this idea that he's going to come back in July and fight for the lightweight title right away. Is there any chance in your mind, like even despite what, you know, Conor is what he means to the UFC versus what Islam means, what Charles Oliveira wants, whatever. Is there any chance that Conor McGregor swoops in and takes that title fight before Islam Makhachev? (laughs)
1: <laughs> there's always a chance because, you know, money talks and the pay-per-view buys talk. Uh, but, man, I as an MMA fan, a hardcore fan, this would just be a gut punch, a ball punch, a ball kick. I mean, everything under the sun. It would just be uh, horrendous if that were to be the case, if I'm being honest. I know even Conor was saying, hey, Charles, maybe you just wait two extra months and you can just welcome me back anyways for a title. I'm like, dude, Conor, Conor, calm down, man, calm down. This division, whether he likes it or not, it's moving on without him that's how it works in the fight game and so yes he's always going to be relevant and he's always going to have his name in the hat for a title fight uh chances of him passing islam up i'm going to say zero i don't think the ufc will do it i think as much as they love connor they even dana himself is probably thinking this is not going to be a good look if we throw him right in for a title fight uh i don't even know the last time connor's won a fight it feels like it's been so long it was March or january, january of 2020, 2020. So, um, yeah, and we know his record in the lightweight division as well. So I'm not on board with it. Um, when Conor returns, it's going to be big regardless. But to me, no, it won't be for a title fight.
0: I agree. I think that a lot of people are very concerned about it, and I don't necessarily think they should be. Now I get it. You know, Conor, the biggest star in the UFC's history. And with the kind of pay-per-views, the kind of eyeballs that he brings in, you can never quite count him out. I think all he has to do is win one fight, and then he's gonna be there. I, I mean, do agree all, with that. But I don't think the, if if he were to be put into it, and I know this is maybe hyperbole. This this might come off like I'm, you know, just talking in the moment and that it's fresh and whatnot. It would be the most undeserved title shot ever given, especially yep. if Islam were healthy and able to fight. That's yep. kind of the big thing. Is so much can change, you know, if all. We'll, if Oliveira right. yeah. or Gaichi win that fight and get hurt for an extended period of time, and let's say an interim belt has to be introduced, maybe it's Islam versus Connor Navudavi. I mean, you just things could definitely happen to where Connor could somehow step in. I guess, <laughs> yeah. But it would have there would have to be a lot of things that would have to go his way. You know, right. Dustin Poirier would have to be pretty much remove himself from the conversation completely, yeah. which. There's a chance that happens because he seems to have retirement on the mind. And um he could be, but you know, this lightweight division's always kind of ran this way. It's the most interesting, most talent stacked division in the UFC, but it's always been a damn mess. <laughs> yes, just very true. Really, since Connor came into the fold, it's just been a mess. And we finally seem to kind of have, you know, some stability. Yep. You know, Charles Oliveira's champion. He had a great 2021. Looking to continue that run in 2022 against a very valid number one contender, Justin Gaethje. But when Connor comes back, it could shake things up again. I just don't think it's going to shake things up in that way. Yeah, I <laughs> if, surely hope not. If Islam's available, he's getting it next. Like, there's no way that Connor comes in and takes that title fight. I just don't believe that. Yeah, I agree. Now I guess we can talk about another fight from this uh main card. The Ooh. the the people's main event, the 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 co-main the rightful co-main event of this card, saw two very promising lightweight prospects go head to head. Armand Saryukin, however, made it look easy as well. One-way traffic, mm. vicious elbows as he gets to TKO over Joel Alvarez. A minute, 57 seconds in round two. Now, Dominic, I know we were both very excited about this fight. Um, Give me your thoughts. Was this the fight that you were expecting? And then second question, what's next for Armand Saryukin with a performance like that?
1: Yeah, so I was clearly very excited in the group chat. I said how horny I was, in fact, for this fight. I told, guys, to
0: I told you guys on Friday, he's the horniest man in Ohio. He's getting exactly. horny for some man-on-man action. And yeah, games, That's you
1: know? that's right. But, uh, boy, did it just not deliver in that way. But what a performance from Armand uh, Saryuken. Start to finish, you said it best, one-way traffic. No, I, I love that so much. I put it in the tweet that we sent out because that's exactly what it was from start to finish, his grappling was on another level. His ground and pound was vicious, as it says in the title. That elbow that cut uh, Joel right here, I've never really seen a cut. That was a weird spot to have a cut because when he would stand, it's not going to get in his eye. But when he's on his back, which he was the whole fight, it's going to be all over his eyes, which is not what you want in a fight. Um, But, man, it was just a matter of time once that second round started. Uh, Sorry, you got the takedown within the first like 15 seconds, and I knew it was going to be over shortly so what a performance the best personally i think of his career in the ufc he's won five in a row he's five and one uh, in this division in his ufc career Uh, i mean he's he's going to be Right there amongst those guys uh, in the top 10, I think he rightfully deserves someone in the top 10 next. It was truly the performance. If you're a believer in Star Staryukin, which we are, and, but we're also believers in all these other guys in 10 through 15, but this performance right here was a really just a statement made and a welcome uh, – he's not going to be welcome to the top 10, but your next fight, Armin, should be top 10 without a doubt.
0: Yeah, with this win, the uh, lightweight division, man, is just it's, – mm. Like, obviously, this fight didn't do much for Joel Alvarez, even though we still think he has some potential, yeah. but for Ar- Armand Saryukin to dispose of him in the fashion he did, his only loss is to Islam Makachev in the UFC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, he pretty much has dominated everybody else. Obviously, this was his toughest task here, but to do that in the fashion he did, I mean, how can you not say this guy is probably a top 10 talent right now? Right he needs a chance to prove that now it's going to be hard. Cause you know, like Dan Hooker's going down to featherweight. So maybe he's going to get removed from the rankings and yeah, you know, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson is likely being matched up, but you know, a fight with like Gregor Gillespie. I mean, I think that's hmm. a masterful fight. Yeah. I'm pretty sure maybe at one point you even called for a fight like that. And I said, I didn't want it for Gregor because it just didn't feel yeah. quite urgent. Well, I mean, you can't really say that now. And, Gregor Gillespie's been a little unactive over the last couple of years, a little less active, I should say, than he is uh than you would like him to be as a yeah. guy that's in the top ten or right outside the top ten. I can't remember where he's at. But overall, Saryukin is deserving of a at least ranked fighter in his next matchup. You know, I know Joel Alvarez kind of was on the bubble there, but it just seems like stop stop Treating this guy like he's less than What he is I mean he's really a top Ten talent who's just needs an opportunity To push him that far Up and um, I mean the Delvos were nasty You can't Mm. we can't Push we can't keep that Same uh, Narrative alive that he's Somehow a decision fighter who can't Finish anybody his last two fights he's finished Both of his opponents with strikes yeah Yeah he's the real deal
1: Yeah. And I I actually, I want to get your thought real quick before we move on. Um, I had to go, you know, Uncle Chael, he was tweeting and he was busy last night and he threw out, he always throws out just random shit. Cause he, I don't know if he realizes like other fights that are like in the works and the back end and stuff, but I love the guy. I have to bring this up. He said, sir, you can versus Michael Chandler. How does that fight play out? And I'm like, huh? Now I don't think that should be next by any means, but man, in the future, like that is a potential matchup. And that's pretty fun matchup. It was one that's kind of random, Because you, I mean, Chandler is a guy that is great with his grappling, he's a phenomenal wrestler, but he usually has been standing up, especially in his UFC career. But for Chael to throw that out, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it
0: quickly, Noah. Um, I think down the road, it could become a very realistic fight. I just don't think there is a chance in hell that, yeah, Michael Chandler accepts that fight right now. You have an opportunity to fight Tony Ferguson, you're probably going to take that one, but yeah, uh, if Armand Sar, you can control can build his name a little bit. I mean, really, he just has to get to that Islam level. I mean, he gets, yeah. if he keeps dominating people, yes, he has the loss to Islam, but it happened at a time where neither guy was really well known. So if he just keeps dominating, I mean, eventually he'll get to a point where he'll be undeniable.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: for Michael Chandler, you know, I don't know by that time if Michael Chandler, where he's going to be. You know, he's one and two in the UFC. So even though he's looked damn good, even in defeat if you keep losing eventually, he's just going to kind of fall out of that mix. You know, it would be a lot like us, um, in a way it would almost feel like matchmaking someone to fight Ben Askren back in 2017, thinking he's going to be around for a couple years. And yeah, he only had three fights in the UFC and he was done. Right. So, um, for Michael Chandler, I, I, am not confident we'll ever see that fight. I really just think that enough will shake up that it's just not going to happen, but, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. And, not... and it has, oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it has to be said, or there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, sorry, only loss is to Islam Makachev. But right now it looks like down the road, these guys could have a collision course for where their rematch could very well be in a title fight and be a very, very massive fight.
0: Well, apparently the, it was offered for Armand Sardukin to step into the main event instead of mm. having Bobby Green and he turned it down saying he needed more time, which I don't blame him at all. Yeah. Especially considering the fact he has a loss already. If he had two losses, even in, if the one had that caveat of ten days notice, it would be hard to really put those two together in the future, even if they were both deserving of a of a third fight, you know?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that.
0: Uh, we're gonna move on from UFC Vegas forty nine, but there was one piece of news that really came out of this card that was a pretty big deal, Dominic. And yeah, uh, that was because Glover Teixeira, the current light heavyweight champion, was in attendance, and he spoke with Kambate and confirmed that his title defense versus Yuri Prohaska that was supposed to be at UFC two seventy four has been pushed back one month to UFC two seventy five in June. And I think, uh, you know, whatever, this the, the card's not happening in Brazil like we were hoping yeah. for. So, Glover, not too upset by it. He's just like, you know, I don't know why, but it is what it is. So, I guess less of a talking point is that that fight itself got moved. Because it's still a great fight. Looking forward to it. Yada, yada, yada. However, Dominic, yes. this leaves... I mean, really, this card, as of now, is still waiting for a lot of fights to be added to it. I So I decided to look. I, I went and I was like, okay, let's look at what fights are confirmed or verbally or signed, whatever. What fights are on this card right now that, you know, they took this fight off. So I was thinking there must be another fight in there that's like a rightful co-main event. Yeah. Well, there really isn't right now. Uh, actually, I've pulled up here. The 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 three biggest fights outside of this title fight you're looking at are Joe Lozon versus Donald Cerrone, Brandon Roy Val versus Matt Schnell, and Shogun Hua versus O. S P. Which we'll be talking yeah. about in a minute. Both so, of them, yeah. <laughs> um none of those are a co main event. None of those none of those might even be main card fights for all we know. Yeah. So In your mind, when you saw that this move was taking place, was there any reason you could think of that why that might happen? Um, Is it just simply that that June card needs a main event, or is this to open up a pretty big co-main spot here in May?
1: So I think it's kind of both because for Glover, maybe they are delaying it to June because maybe they're still trying to get to Brazil because it wasn't going to happen in May. They still don't even have a location for that card yet but maybe they're trying to get it in June. Maybe they just really want to give Glover that chance to be in Brazil. Again, that's kind of my thought for that fight, at least. For UFC 274, you didn't even, like you said, there's not even really a confirmed main event. It's rumored, of course, to be Oliveira Gaethje. It just hasn't been confirmed yet. Uh, There's also another rumored fight between Chandler and Tony Ferguson that is supposed to be on that card. But nonetheless, it just, why move it now like something's in the works and it might be announced rather quickly, rather soon for you to make this decision to go ahead and delay a title fight, which was, was confirmed by the UFC. So, uh, you know, I threw it out in our group chat again last night and I'm going to keep nailing this fight until the cows come home until it comes to fruition. I need to see Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz in a five round main event or co-main event. If it's, if there's a title fight on that card, it would be a co-main slot, obviously, because uh, I just, it's a fight that makes too much sense. I still feel it's a miss that we're not seeing it this coming Saturday at UFC 272. Apparently, they just can't get the deal done with contracts. I'd say it's more so on Nate's side because it's his last fight on his contract. I need to see that fight. If that's paired underneath of Oliveira Gagey, that is such a sick card. If you also throw Ferguson uh, versus Chandler on there, then we're really talking a big fight for me. I don't really know. That's just what I want to see happen, Noah.
0: Yeah, and again, I I think the rumor right now, based off what Ariel Helwani's been saying, is that August is looking like the time frame for that Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier fight. But you have to wonder, you move a title fight to the next month, and like, okay, maybe it's because you don't have a headliner for that month, but I mean, is that really what it is right now? Because, I mean, it's a little ways away. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of titles that haven't been defended in a minute. I mean, we're still waiting for like Rose Namajunas, Carlos Barza to potentially be announced. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Pena versus Nunez, two isn't going to happen until probably you know August September timeframe. Um, there's just there's a lot of fights. You know, we're waiting to hear about Usman versus uh, Leon Edwards two. Yeah. Uh, there's just I mean, there's a lot of fights that kind of feel like they could be coming, so I'm a little surprised that you jumped. That it almost feels like you're jumping the gun to move that fight, which that's fine. Yeah. You can do that, but there must be a reason for, for this card at UFC 274. There needs to be a reason why they felt comfortable to remove one of the title fights. You know, There needs to be something replacing that that is at least close to that caliber of a title yeah. fight, and I can't think of another fight that would fit that but Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier. Now, I'm still not confident that that's going to get put on that card, but I think that's what the UFC might be wanting to do right now. Could I could end up? I mean, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson's not a bad co-main event either. That could be a lot of fun. But yeah, you definitely, it definitely would feel less than a title fight. While I mean, Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier feels like a main event that's being put in a co-main spot. So I think there's a lot to come. With this, but obviously there's a lot of fights that still need to be added to that card. I mean, you know, we there still are. had a couple months before it's, you know, to go live, but I expect something big here soon.
1: Yeah. I think it will be soon. Yeah.
0: Now we can move on to Bellator 275. This happened Friday. Uh, the card was a brisk couple hours and it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really kind of flew by, but in the main event, For that middleweight title that was kind of a big point for this weekend across the other promotions, Bellator 1 FC, Gegard Mousasi does it again in the first round, puts Mm. away Austin Vanderford via TKO, a minute 25 seconds of round number one. Dominic, what went right for Gegard here, and what went wrong for Mr. Van Zandt.
1: Uh Everything and everything <laughs> to the answer to both questions. Uh, Yegard came out, was very patient, and he was precise, and when he landed, it hurt. And Vanderford came out with a game plan. I don't even know if it was in his game plan, but I don't know if the moment was just too bright for him maybe, but he came out and did not fight his fight. He was willing to stand openly and trade with Musashi, and we said in our preview leading in, This stand-up leads toward Musasi. I mean, it's just how it is. So, uh, for him to go out and stand and trade uh, clearly was not the right idea. He was getting wobbled. He panicked in and shot for a takedown, uh, very unbeknownst to how he usually would set up his takedowns. Yegard stuffs it, and his ground and pound to finish the fight was absolutely uh, brutal, to be honest. Uh, Van Zant. All right, I just said Van Zant because it's on the thing. Vanderford turtled up quickly, and uh, Musasi put him away, the veteran expertise. He wasn't going to let off once he saw the opportunity to pounce. Uh, It was a great performance from Yeagard. Austin Vanderford was undefeated. It was his biggest fight to date. He just didn't live up under the bright lights. I don't think we've seen the end of him. I think he's still a very good competitor, but it's going to be a little bit now before he gets his name back into title talks after this type of performance.
0: I mean, it's hard, because Austin Vanderford's looked great, but his level of competition's just not really been comparable. And obviously the resume, only 11 fights, and then you have Gegard Musasi who had, like, 56 or something yeah. like that. I mean, yeah. it was kind of crazy, the the, the disparity there. Now, Austin Vanderford, again, he's looked great, but here he did look a bit overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, in a minute, 25 seconds, like, I mean, I don't expect him in the first 20 seconds to shoot for a takedown or anything. I mean, he's trying to set it up, but I get what you're saying about the stand-up. I just think he was, I mean, he never really had a time to even set up a takedown properly. It just, you know, you can't, every fight starts on the feet. So just because they're good wrestlers doesn't mean they're just going to shoot immediately, you know. But um, it it was clear that Gegard's uh, strikes were very... Calculated, They were very accurate. Vanderford not able to really move his head quick enough, not able to really defend any of these punches. Um, definitely wilted him a bit. And apparently on that shoot that he went for, the desperate shoot, I guess he blew out his shoulder, shoulder, apparently. Oh, um, that's kind of why he turtled up the way he did. Cause it was just like done. But, um, regardless, I think that, you know, nothing to take away from Musasi's finish there. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, that fight was going one way and one way only from that point on. And while Vanderford, if that injury doesn't happen, maybe he lasts longer. Maybe it doesn't go that way. But um, all in all, I think this fight proved that Gegard Musasi is one of, if not the pound for pound best fighter in Bellator. Yep. And honestly, for the foreseeable future, you look at the matchups ahead and it's a lot of similar tests. I mean, not I'm not even talking stylistically, but if you're talking about the, the discrepancy in the experience, you know, yeah, that's insane. Is still, he, he, potentially next, you got two, two big fights coming up or one big fight coming up, but Logan Storley just won his main event with Neiman Gracie. So he looks like a guy who could be in line. Yeah. But then you got the matchup between Douglas Lima and Jason Jackson. And if Jason yeah. Jackson wins, most think that he's going to get that next shot over Storley. But those two guys are kind of the ones that, could rightfully be next. So Dominic, do you see either of those matchups potentially giving Gegard any sort of fits or are they both going to have this same kind of uphill battle that Austin Vanderford had here?
1: I, I think it's a very uphill battle because Musasi now has faced two guys where their their go-to skill set was in you know the grappling department. When he beat Stalter, he was a guy that has a ton of submission wins. Gegard finished him and made it look easy. Vanderford's an amazing wrestler and grappler in his own right puts him away within a minute and a half. Uh, with his experience, he's seen it all. He's been through it all. There's going to be nothing new that you can throw at Yegar Musasi. And, you know, with that type of combination and him seemingly not getting any worse. I mean, he's 36. We had our doubts on Friday. But right now, he still looks very fresh, very good. Um, so I think anyone that challenges Yegard in the foreseeable future, it's an uphill battle for them. Not that they can't win, but it's just not an easy fight at all, especially compared to how they would get to that title fight.
0: Yeah, dare I say, these contenders, they just need to hope that he ages out. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> um, what it seems. Because he just, honestly, he said it himself. He said he's the best middleweight in the world, which we he can did. kind of talk about that. And, you know, a lot of people were talking in the lead up and in the immediate aftermath, I saw some talk of, man, I wish we could have seen Israel Adesanya fight the Gegard Mousasi of five years ago. Or Robert Whittaker in that same matchup. Yeah. Like a Mousasi of five years ago. Gegard Mousasi might be fighting at peak performance right now. I mean, this might really yeah. be the best we've ever seen him fight at. It's hard to tell because, again, I mean, Austin Vanderford, John Salter, good fighters. But are they really the level of competition that Mousasi was fighting in the UFC or even... No. You know, when he first joined Bellator, I don't know. But I, what I do know is I, I firmly think that there's an argument to be made. Gegard Mousasi is the third best middleweight in the world. Now, you kind of miss me if you try to say he's better than Israel Adesanya or Robert Whitaker, I just, I can't, yeah. I can't really, I just don't see that right now. Uh, Dominic, do you feel any differently? I know you kind of gave your answer away. Okay.
1: Yeah, he's not, you know, at least to me, he's not better than Izzy. He's not better than Whitaker. But, man, after those two, the conversation really gets interesting, and especially with what we've seen from Yegard, what we've seen from him in the UFC, that kind of really helps. I mean, we're talking about a guy that when he left the UFC, he was on a five-fight win streak, everybody. He didn't lose three or four in a row and get, you know, tossed to the side. Uh, He chose to go to Bellator and leave the UFC because, truthfully, he was fed up with how he was treated over there. He's one of the most underrated fighters it seems in recent memory the accomplishments that he's reached have been second to none the only thing he hasn't gotten is a ufc championship i saw a tweet where he's had all these belts and all these different promotions strike force pride gauge warriors bellator yada 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 the list goes on and on um and he still looks great in 2022 it's just uh, amazing he's aging like a fine wine man so again after those top two with izzy and whitaker He is right amongst the conversation for top three, top five middleweight across all promotions in the world.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, especially when you're looking at who's below Izzy and Whitaker. I mean, he's definitely up there with Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson and guys like that. I think that he's firmly in that that competition. But um, definitely the best of the best in Bellator. And, yes, he does have a couple, again, more guys on the horizon who are younger, who are – You know, these, these, these guys that developed really developed and brought along through their promotion. So he does have tough tests ahead, but you know, it's not going to be anything he's ever seen before. So again, unless he starts to just get worse, I really don't see it going much different. I think he has a pretty long run ahead of him for at least the next year or two. Well said. In the co-main event. This was the fight that the Irish fans were telling us, uh, telling everybody all week, you need to watch this fight. This is the biggest fight in Irish women's MMA history. Sinead Cavanaugh, Leah McCourt, they go to distance and Sinead Cavanaugh gets to win via unanimous decision. Obviously, a lot more to be said about this fight, but Dominic, first up. Did the fight live up to those expectations, those lofty expectations that the Irish fans were putting on it?
1: Uh well, it, it kept me on the edge of my seat for three rounds. So in that aspect, yes. It but it did play out differently than how I felt it would go. Kavanaugh, um, you know, we got to watch this live on the Spotify Green Room, by the way, and that we had a blast doing it. But for Kavanaugh, we were very impressed with how her physique has changed very much since she lost in the title fight to cyborg. Her game plan was very very smart, but for Leah McCourt, it was very opposite. Her game plan was not ideal whatsoever. Uh, she was in a submission early. That was her arm. as I've never seen an arm bend so awkwardly in my life without someone tapping. Kavanaugh just really dominated the first two rounds. She tweaked her knee real bad, Kavanaugh, that is, at the end of the second. Definitely tore some damage in there, uh, undoubtedly. So then in round three, we're thinking, okay, McCourt, if you could just keep the distance Kick that leg, which she started too early in that round. She might be able to get a finish here. But then Kavanaugh tough or fights through. You see, the heart of the Irish has the title of this. That's because she implemented this strength. She pushed McCord up against the cage and was able to get her back down again in the third round, despite, you know, that ligament damage in her knee. And uh, so it was just a lot of heart seen from both of these women a fight it played out a lot differently than i expected but it kept me engaged all the way through for 15 minutes i had a lot of fun watching this fight and it felt big you know for those women for the people there in ireland it it got the attention it deserved
0: the fight felt like a big deal due to the i guess cultural implications and whatnot but truth be told going into this fight i kind of didn't have that much expectation for it outside the fact that these were two mid-level women's featherweights, and you know, truthfully, that's one of the weakest divisions in all of MMA outside yeah. of maybe women's lightweight, I guess. But it's just not a very talent-stacked division across all the promotions. So I was kind of like, nah, like I I really was anticipating it due to like how the crowd was gonna be into it and how the Irish fans were really talking it up, but. Overall, I wasn't expecting to walk away with too many takeaways, but I got to be honest. I mean, it was a dogfight from start Mm -hmm. to finish. And, you know, both women showing a lot of guts, a lot of heart, a lot of durability here. As in round one, I mean, Kavanaugh having a nasty Kimura on McCourt looked like her arm was broken. I mean, honestly, the way she was contorting that arm was crazy. We were yelling in the green room, stop it. Uh, But McCourt able to smartly fight her way through. And while she was very smart in her defense there, unfortunately her fight IQ didn't hold up in round three because Kavanaugh clearly had a very big problem with her left knee, I want to say it was. She, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the timing of it exactly. I thought in round one she tweaked it. And we kind of didn't know what happened. She like just fell and was like, "Did she get kicked and fall?" Like we had no yeah. idea. But then I think in round two, at the end, is where yes. it happened again, and she literally looked like she couldn't walk. Yeah. So she basically clenched up, took um, took Liam McCourt to the ground and finished the fight. Uh, but Liam McCourt again, it looked like she was going to have an opportunity to finish this fight, and instead she kind of just allowed. Sinead Kavanaugh to clinch her up and Kavanaugh was the stronger fighter. Even if McCourt is supposed to have really good judo, it didn't really show in those clinching positions. And I don't know how compromised the arm was. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot going on here, but all in all, not the highest level of MMA you're going to see. Truthfully. I mean, the fight IQ wasn't really there. You had two women who already are exactly like the best of the best, but we're fighting compromised for the majority of the fight. Yeah. But it was a very enjoyable fight because you saw a lot of heart, a lot of guts, a lot. Two women that even if they aren't the most skilled, they went for it. And you know yes. what? I, can, I respect the hell out of that. And I think in that way, it lived up to the expectations that it really was. This was a fight that the Irish fans felt a lot of pride in. And those two women took a lot of pride and winning that fight and Sinead Cavanaugh gets to win. And she does kind of, I mean, it did kind of really, I think it was a fight that kind of lifted her a little bit. Like if it, 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 again, I don't know how long lasting that impact is going to be, but at least for now, like she does feel like a little bit bigger of a deal coming off that win and the way she did it. Now, the question is Dominic.
1: Yeah. I was wondering,
0: <laughs> this is where I'm going to segue. I'm sure you saw this coming, but uh, Scott Coker, after the fight, post fight press conference, he he mentioned he's like yeah you know we'll see if Sinead Kavanaugh, how long the injury potentially could take her out but you know I could see her fighting Cyborg and fall and everybody was like huh yeah yeah so Cyborg versus Kavanaugh two is the play he didn't come right out and say like that's the direction yeah. we're going but it sort of felt that way so. Dominic, was this performance, as gutsy as it was, was this the, what you needed to see to tell you, okay, Sinead Kavanaugh is ready for a second crack at Chris Cyborg?
1: Uh, no. It was enough to tell me that Kavanaugh's still there, you know, top five. She's hanging around. She's tough out for anyone, but no. Not after – I mean, the way she lost to Cyborg, she essentially almost got one punch KO'd. I mean, it was a pretty brutal loss and what was her first big – Title fight, you know, in Bellator, she's five and five now. Uh, she got a big win against someone who was surging in Leah McCourt. All power to her, but you need maybe one or two, definitely one more before you can get back in there with Cyborg, in my opinion. And it's just like, wh- what are we doing here? Like the things I, they matched make, they put Kat Zingano on a card next month. Like um, it's not even on the main card, or it might be now. But either way, it's against number seven. It doesn't make much sense when Kat and Chris Cyborg were literally tweeting hey when you want to do this want to do it in you want to do it on this card um so they don't do that but now you're talking about putting kavanaugh back in what is what what are we what was cyborg just not going to fight again till the fall like what is the thing here because we called for okay the reason they did the zinganu kind of one-off over here is because they're going to bring in kayla harrison they want to make this super fight happen in the you know the spring or the summer Maybe things went south on Friday with Scott Coker and Kayla Harrison. He's like, well, we don't have anything other, anything else planned. Let's put Kavanaugh back in for a rematch. Uh, I don't agree with it. Hopefully that's not the case. And it's no slight to Kavanaugh. She just didn't earn another title shot based off of this win, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you, Dominic, that while it was everything I've said multiple times now, gutsy, it was, it was a great performance, a great showing. What makes us think this fight's going to go any different a second time? And how does one win? Yeah. When, yes, she had earned that title fight the first time, but she's now five and five in Bellator. How is she about to have her second title fight? I don't know about that. Now, I'm going to pitch you a scenario here that's going to be very convoluted, but it might be just crazy enough to make sense for why this is happening the way it's happening. So, we heard Bellator came in with that eleventh-hour offer to Kayla Harrison, and now it's kind of up in the air. Is Kayla Harrison going to go with the PFL or Bellator? It seems down to those two. I in the meantime, I think Bellator gave Cadzengano a fight, thinking that there's a good chance Kayla Harrison is going to sign with them. Mm-hmm. So Cadzengano takes another fight. Then you got the champion Chris Cyborg, who apparently is contract is in a bit of a complicated spot where if Kayla Harrison and her were to have this fight in the summer, there's a good chance that Chris Cyborg is going to hold out for another contract because I believe her contract is up in, I can't remember if it's June or July, so she's likely going to look for a newer, bigger contract in order to take that fight with Kayla Harrison. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if Bellator made that pivot to with Kat Zingano because they're like confident that this offer would bring in Kayla Harrison but then the complications with the champion Chris Cyborg along with the fact that Kayla Harrison still hasn't came out and said what she's going to do yet is maybe just making this to where they're almost planning if Kayla Harrison doesn't sign with them and if she doesn't then I don't see Chris Cyborg fighting before her contract is up so I think Mm -hmm. that's why they're talking about the fall and okay i get it shanae cavanaugh shouldn't be the one in the title fight but for all we know shanae cavanaugh might have fucked up her acl or something she yeah. ain't gonna be ready in the fall yeah i mean are you crazy i couldn't believe that scott coker was talking about her fighting in the falls like i think her knee is fucked up yeah like you're probably talking about a year off at least now we don't know who for all we know it wasn't that bad but right i couldn't believe that the promoter i mean if that was Dana White, clearly would have just been saying, We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. See what happens with the injury. Scott Coker is just planning for a title fight already when you don't even know if the challenger is going to be ready. So I can't help but feel like this is more surrounding the champion and her contract status, and that they're just prepping for her to not fight again until the fall time, considering contract negotiations, maybe. Uh, you know, debate if Kayla comes in. If Kayla does come in and sign, they'll probably be willing to give Cyborg big money. If not, maybe they're not going to want to give Cyborg the money she's probably going to want in the new contract. I don't know. I see where your head's at, Chief. You do? Because I felt like that was very complicated.
1: No, not to Hey, you talked us through it well, Noah. Kudos.
0: Okay. So, let's go on to one FC full circle. That main event, a lot of gold going in here as... Rene De Ritter, the Sheesh. two division champion, the light heavyweight and the middleweight champion. He was defending his middleweight champion versus the welterweight champion, Kamran Avasov. And even though it was champion versus champion, it sure didn't feel like it. Cause nope. De Ritter is just proving once again, if it wasn't already confirmed with the back to back wins over La he dominates Kamran for three rounds and route to a, uh, was it a, yeah, a submission win. Yeah. 57 seconds of round number three. Dominic, your thoughts on the fight?
1: Pure dominance. A clinic from start to finish in the grappling realm uh, from De Ritter, He really solidified himself as like one of the top dogs, if not the top dog in all of one championship. To, he, he's 15-0. and 0. He's got a plethora of finishes on the ground. He even has some KOTKOs, um, and he just implemented a perfect game plan uh, really just made a statement, if I'm being honest, uh, to, you know, again, he's a double champion for a reason. He had another guy trying to come and become a double champ in his own right. And he just showed that there's levels to this game. Yes, the weight classes and the size difference uh, was there. So it's definitely a part to at least have in your mind. But still, just skill for skill here. It was all De Ritter from start to finish. And truly, like I said, it was just clinical. It really was.
0: Yeah, you could see it in Kamran's eyes, like in round two. Again, he tried the tap. At the end of round two, but the bell had rang. Yeah. So then, when he came out there for round three, I mean, it was over. I mean, he was. I mean, I'm not gonna say like he quit, but I'm just saying, he looked like he didn't want to be in there anymore. Yeah. He was mentally out of that fight, physically out of that fight, dominated. Renee de Ritter is a problem, man. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't see this. I mean, this guy he needs to be like one FC needs to be booking this guy more often because he's not taking any damage. And he is like the best that they have in the promotion. I mean, he is so talented, especially in the grappling department. And he has even spoken out about his frustrations with not getting booked, you know, soon enough and whatnot. And I, you know, one FC's had some iffy things with their finances in the past. Like they've kind of Basically, whatever they say they're making or whatever they say they do, you should probably not take at face value. I've been kind of confirmed that way, and they seem to be losing a lot of money year in and year out. But you have a guy like Rene Ritter who's so talented and just, I mean, dominating your welterweight champion. This guy needs to be pushed to the moon.
1: Yeah, I agree. I saw a lot of people actually on Twitter after Yeager Musasi beat Vanderford uh, later that day on Friday that, hey, we should do – Cross promotion between one and Bellator. Who's the best Dutch fighter in the MMA, you know, world in the in the MMA space right now? And you know, both of these organiz- organizations have at least shown some willingness to do cross promoting in the past. Again, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's at least something fun that would be interesting for both guys. And it just kind of tells you too how highly people are holding not only De Ritter in regards with that fifteen and record, but as we already talked about, how good Yegard Mousasi still is. I mean, I'd be. I intrigued. know a lot,
0: a lot of people are interested in Gegard versus Adesanya, but Gegard versus De Ritter is mm-hmm. that is a fight that I would pay a lot of money to see. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, sure, maybe it is playing for bronze in some people's eyes. <laughs> if you're playing for that third best in the world, but man, those two guys are just unbelievable right now. And yeah. the, we got to showcase both of them on a Friday, so you really got to kind of compare the two, and they're so technically different. You know, Dave Ritter is very much, he is very committed and very opportunistic with his takedowns and his wrestling. Gengard Mousasi is a much more well-rounded fighter, but he he tends to be such a threat on the feet. And if you do take him to the ground, it's not going to be so easy because he's got very, very good there too. It's, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. So for, for the Ritter here, I mean, this all, but just was a stamp confirmed best fighter in one FC. Loved it. Um, now we're going to move on to the PFL challenger series. Week, week, two. week two, the welterweights on display. Dominic, as I mentioned on the top, one of us spent sixty four ninety nine on the, for the Fubo TV specifically for the PFL Challenger Series. Uh, I'm the one that's got the egg on my face. Yes, I'm the one who who spent the sixty four ninety nine. Look, I, I couldn't help myself. You know, it's just you. MMA's on. You gotta you gotta find a way to watch it. I guess it's but, in your blood. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but overall, Dominic week two what was your biggest takeaway from the pfl challenger series
1: the biggest takeaway has to be that in week two they already went away from their whole spiel in week one and that was giving two contracts yes one was a developmental deal much like how we've seen with dana white's contender series except for theirs they kind of will monitor them but they'll have them in like an lfa or something this one I know you kind
0: of mentioned. I don't their... know. I don't know what it is. I just, I mostly guessed. I have no idea. Yeah,
1: so I don't know if the PFL is going to still kind of have an umbrella over, uh, which, which one was the one that got the developmental again? Uh,
0: Chris Mixon.
1: Okay, so Mixon gets the developmental contract, so not the straight up, hey, you're in the PFL. So are they going to put him on, like, prelim cards for some of their like regular season events that they do. Or are they going to umbrella him and keep him in these LFAs, these cage furries, so on and so forth? I don't know, uh, but he did have a very good performance. I know his knockout was vicious. His combination was very crisp, very fast, very precise uh, when he put away Nathan Pierce in the second round. So I'm not opposed to him getting an opportunity. Again, at the end of the day, the PFL is number three here domestically behind the UFC and Bellator. So they are still trying to not only get older talent that have big names already, but they are trying to mold younger guys as well. So I'm, I'm fine with a developmental type deal here. I'm okay when the UFC does it typically. Um, and he he did put on a really good performance. So that was honestly the biggest takeaway for me was that, again, after only their second week, they kind of steered away sort of from that one contract thing that we talked about so much last week.
0: Yeah, the more of the holes of this concept are kind of showing through. <laughs> already. <laughs> So, this is why I said I have egg on my face. I mean, like, you spend that much money on the PFL Challenger Series, you're going to get burnt no matter what. But, you know, I'm just... (laughs) My point is, um, there was just a lot more things about... Like, the fights themselves were pretty fun. I mean, everything, every fight ended via finish. I mean, the third fight was a bit... Brutal, Uh, (laughs) my injury was disgusting, but we'll talk about that I'm sure here in a minute, but more from a, from a, from a concept, you know, I'm kind of looking at this now and I'm just like wondering PF to the PFL, the people in charge, what is the point here? Because it's very clear what it should be. Bring in top prospects, give them a platform to showcase their skills, right? Yeah. Tender series has been great for that. It's been way better than what the – it's essentially been the replacement for the Ultimate Fighter, which I know is still around, but nobody watches the Ultimate Fighter anymore. So now they watch the Contender Series, and that's where guys Mm -hmm. get that platform. They get that showcase. You get those contracts, and then you end up on – I mean, all these cards that the UFC have have a lot of eyes on them usually. So um, it's been really good for the UFC to have that. But for the PFL, I'm not quite seeing the value yet because you put it on FUBO TV. And at first, week one, I was I gave it the benefit of the doubt because I they streamed the first episode on MMA Junkie's YouTube channel. And also you would get a one week free trial of FUBO. But then week two on, it's just gonna be on the FUBO Sports Network. And I'm like, okay, so Who's really getting like these guys aren't really getting a platform here? Maybe this is just a starting point. It's mm-hmm. the only, maybe it was the only place offering them a decent deal to host these fights on their network. But if the whole point is like trying to bring more eyes to these prospects that you want to build up, nobody's who has Fubo TV? <laughs> I don't think right. many people do. Right. Um, I'm now one of them. But yes. He, and my buddy Kevin. <laughs> is a, a big investor in Fubo. But, yeah. Um Truthfully, like, that's a big strike. That's a big red flag right there. Like, you're not really getting more eyes on your product or on these fighters. And then, back-to-back weeks, I'm questioning the decision-making here of who's getting these contracts. And I'll explain why. Last week, I can't even remember the guy's name who got it last week, but he had that great, you know, flying knee yeah. knockout. And that was a great highlight reel for an otherwise kind of uneventful night of fights. You know, the other fights were kind of iffy. That that was like the big standout moment. But clearly, clearly, your main event, and now I'm forgetting his name, the LFA double champion, Josh Silvera, Mm -hmm. he was clearly like the most, the best, most, like, the prize prospect of those four fights. And he had a dominant showing, but it was like just not the best fight in the world. So he didn't even get brought to the final two uh, because I guess the celebrity panel select the final two. And then the celebrity panel has a vote. The fans have a vote. If they line up, that person gets a contract. If they don't Ray though, gets to decide who gets a contract. So you miss out on Josh Silvera, who's, Going to probably get signed by Bellator to UFC, like, immediately. That guy (laughs) is a stud. And then this week, Jarrah Al-Salawi, who was in the main event, he's the one that got the, like, full contract. Good decision there. He's the uh, Brave CF champion or the former Brave CF champion. That's a pretty big promotion in the regional circuit. But he's going to be in the 2022 season. Good on him. But then you got Carlos Leal down there, who's another LFA champion, who had a round one, 56-second finish of Corey Cuppy, who I know is he was one of the weaker fighters on this card, but like clearly Carlos Leal should have been given a contract. Yeah. Like that guy is another really good prospect. But instead, the final two is Al Salawi and Chris Mixon. And yes, Chris Mixon had some really good combinations in his fight. But with that win, I believe he's only 2-1 and one or 3-1 now professionally. Very green. Yeah. So, very green. So, that's why, yes, a developmental deal is good for him. But this kind of makes me think this whole concept where you're doing one division on this night is just flawed. Because not all prospects are created equally. So, mm-hmm. you do one division each night and it's like... Okay, well the best welterweight on here is either Al Salawi or Carlos Leal in terms of like who the best prospect is right now. And like one of those guys doesn't get the contract on the night you give out two. It feels yeah. like you're just not giving the right guys the opportunities. What the one thing about the contender series is they mix up who's on the card. It's not just one division. It's Yeah, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. So, yes, if you took out every fight in that last season of the Contender Series that was in the welterweight division. I'm sure there might have been a guy who got a contract who I would put below a guy who didn't get a contract. But it doesn't feel that way because you spread them out throughout the season. Yeah. Here, it's just... I don't understand really what this what's going on here. And and then, I mean, you get the contract to Al Salawi and then Ray Seppo pulls a move that would make a young Dana White back in 2005 bring a tear to his eye where he decides that we're going to give Chris Mixon a contract too. And, uh, you know, not quite enough, not, you know, nobody really there. So nobody, there wasn't the ovation that we got (laughs) for Stephen Bonner and Forrest Griffin. But I just, again, it was a fine watch. I sat there and watched it, but I just went, what is really the point? like what's going on here. Right. And the celebrity panel starting to annoy me a bit. (laughs) Tyron Woodley is the only guy of the three who probably should be there. And he's the one that's the least interested in being there. (laughs) While we got, uh, Ray Lewis and, uh, Jeremy Piven, who I like both those. I mean, Ray Lewis hall of fame linebacker, um, Jeremy Piven. He's an actor that was in the show entourage, which I love that show. But and both seem to be fans of mma but the problem is that they keep trying to force them to like talk about the technical side yeah of the, they yeah. just don't really it's it's kind of like us talking about the technical side of sport we've never trained in mma we don't we don't know that stuff uh and they just kind of don't really get it when they're talking about it and you know they both seem to be invested in being there but again, I mean, Jeremy Pitt is not even there. He's being Skyped in the whole time. I mean, yeah, he's not even yeah. there. But I know Ray Lewis is like a, an investor, I believe, or someone mm-hmm. in the product. So it's just, I just walked away going like, what are we doing here? Like, what is this? What, what's going on? This, I'm not seeing where anybody is gaining anything from this show. Right, but I can't deny that. Like, I'm still gonna keep watching. I paid the fucking money for it. Obviously. Yeah, you're already and, in, you know. Yeah, next week <laughs> is women's lightweight, which I am so interested to see how that's gonna go. And yeah. I and I don't and I and I thought the celebrity panel was supposed to be like a revolving door of celebrities. So yeah, is next week gonna be three different people? I don't know. I guess I'll have to tune in to find out. They're they're really <laughs> leaving you on the edge of your seat, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm ranting about something that I kind of like it's just so flawed and for PFL who have prided themselves on doing things different from the UFC yeah. from all the promotions. They try to yeah. they try to think outside the box more than your average promotion. Here they're missing the mark. They're like kind of they're doing things different as into a detriment of itself. And that's right. it's such a shame because this really could be very beneficial for them. But I will just say draw al Salawi looked fantastic, got a not a flying knee KO, but a neo, a neo, a (laughs) KO to the face with his knee. And he looked fantastic and he deserved that contract. Uh, Chris Mixon, again, looked really good. I'm not opposed to him getting a developmental deal. I think the PFL needs to really wonder if like this whole one contract and episode thing is going to be, I know they went against it here, but are they going to do that moving forward? I mean, they probably should consider it. Yeah. So Dominic, did you have any other final thoughts about <laughs> PFL That's Challenger? All, no, I
1: mean, you really were very intellectual and I enjoyed listening and I hope everyone else did as well.
0: Um, thank you. Now we have more on some of the fights from this weekend, but before we get into that, we have some fight announcements to talk about. Just a couple old man fights, Dom. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been an interesting debate in the community for a while. We've had our back and forth on old man fights. Well, One FC and the UFC decided that they both wanted to put an old man fight on. And One X, which is coming March 26th, will see two Japanese MMA legends in Shinya Aoki and Yoshihiro Akiyama. That's right, Sexy Yama is back. While the UFC on May 7th, UFC 274, we will see a rematch between Ovent saint Prue and Mauricio Shogun Hua. Any interest in either one of those belts?
1: Uh I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean, hey, if they still got the fighting spirit left in them, then I'm all here for it. Um, you know, obviously we don't know as, as much about the one uh championship fighters, but for Akiyama, we have seen him for years, especially he was he's been in the UFC, he's been in there with prominent names. Um, so for him to still get a chance here, um against uh, Shinya, and it's on a big card, right, at the end of the day. It's one of the biggest cards that one has ever done, probably the biggest. So they're still going to get a bit of a spotlight at the tail end of their careers. It's good for them. OSP and Shogun, I was under every impression that Shogun was retired. I don't know if that ever was even confirmed, but I really thought it was a thing. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. apparently it's not. Um, they're going to run it back between him and OSP. They had a really weird fight that first time, uh, so here we are again. It's going to be on that May 7th card that we talked about earlier. It's one that I didn't see coming. OSP's been experimenting with heavyweight. I guess he's back down at light heavyweight for this one. Uh, It's interesting. (laughs) That's what I got for you. Yeah.
0: Shogun, who uh, was never confirmed to be retired, but I believe after his loss to Paul Craig, I think Dana said in the press conference afterwards that he was going to have to have a talk with him, kind of like the Donald Cerrone talk or the Chuck Liddell talk or whatever. Which those talks don't really seem to be making guys retire very much. Just <laughs> uh, it seems like he's having a very iffy success rate on those yeah, talks. Yeah, but, uh, uh Shogun's back. OSP. I mean, what's left? La- I, I, I nah. yeah. Nah. The one FC fights like kind of interesting because again, like it's a card that is meant to be like it's the ten year anniversary card. So it's you know there's a lot of. It's a lot of remembrance of the past. So you get two of Japanese yeah. legends here. That feels a bit fitting. We'll see how the fight actually goes. I'm not super confident it's gonna be a very good fight. But you know, I I like both those guys. They're legends, so why not? OSP versus Shogun Two. I mean why? Like why are we why are we even doing this? I, it, I, I guess it's better than having either of those two fight like a young up and comer, you know. True, and, true. Uh, in that way, but The the first fight I don't remember being all that good and you know now they're booking them here again. You got to think this is Shogun who has got to be coming up on the end here, right? I mean, I think this is the first time we've seen him in a year and a half when this fight takes place. And last time out didn't look all that great with Paul Craig in a rematch. The last time they had fought went to a draw where Shogun looked fantastic, but that was like a year before that. So yeah. It's got to be close to the end for Shogun. But, I mean, obviously, he's a legend. Like, you you got to you gotta tune in, you know? But it's... Yeah. I'm just not expecting much. That's the best way to put it. Also on that card, May 7th, UFC 274, uh, is a fight I am excited about. That's oh, Brandon, yeah. <laughs> Roy Val versus Matt Schnell in the flyweight division. Raw Dog is back, Dominic. Matt Schnell... Man, I don't know the last time he fought, but it's been a while. He was supposed yeah. to be on our card. Was that UFC 271? Yeah, he two, was two to weeks fight, ago. He was supposed to fight Alex Perez. Um, I believe Perez missed weight. Matt Schnell declined to take the fight, uh, and rightfully so. So now he gets put in a bigger matchup, I would say, with yes. Brandon Roy Vell. I mean, no disrespect to Alex Perez. He's great former title challenger, but... I would say where they're at in their careers right now. Roy Val is the big, bigger fight, and this has pretty big implications to it.
1: Yeah, I love everything about this fight. It should be a really fun fight. You know, I feel for Matt Schnell. He had that. Uh, it felt like all of 2021, he was booked eight times with Alex Perez. Never happened. Then we got as close as ever two weeks ago. Perez misses weight, and we still don't see the fight. Thank goodness that the UFC is just like you know what, this fight's just not meant to be. It's okay. We'll part our separate ways for Roy Val. Uh, you know, he's still looking to really stick in there with the cause he's right there, man. He really is, but he had those two faltering moments, but he still looks good in every fight. Here he is again. He's fighting back a little bit, but it is a fight that makes sense. Schnell is actually really good. I I think he's kind of slept on for this division. He's got his wins. He's got his losses, but uh, both these guys in terms of their styles, I think it's going to be a really fun fight. Roy Val's never been in a doll fight. You know, Schnell has a lot of submissions, but he's got really crisp boxing as of late too. So that's going to be a very fun scrap for the flyweight division.
0: I like it. Now let's go ahead and move on to some other fights, the rest, if you will, of the action that took place this weekend. Back to UFC Vegas 49, a big topic of the night was judging Dominic and two fights on our main card, one probably more controversial than the other. Mm-hmm. But we saw two decisions that were very close, very uh, close fights. You know, The community kind of split on them. Yeah, And uh, I'm going to get your thoughts on both those. So Priscilla Cachoeira in the fight of the night gets a unanimous decision win over Gian Kim. And then the opener of our main card saw Armin Petrosian get a split decision win over Gregory Rodriguez. Did you see the fight the same way as the judges here? Or were you... In... Just give your thoughts on both fights and kind of both uh, judges' decisions
1: yeah first and foremost both fights badass i mean but either one could have had fight of the night and i wouldn't you wouldn't heard me complain about either one uh they were both very good fights Petrosian rodriguez Rodriguez really had a lot of big moments it felt like in that fight uh but Petrosian was constantly moving constantly landing shots uh he's he's almost got finished twice he had he was one he was in like the uh
0: Sulu stretch.
1: Yeah, his knees all the way back behind his neck and shit. I, I, My whole body would break if I tried to do that with me. Uh, But he escaped that. He was in a rear naked choke, I believe, and escaped that one. Round three. Round three in both of these fights was absolutely insane. And truthfully, probably, it came down to round three. Did those submission, attempts,
0: did those submission attempts happen in round two or round one?
1: Three? One of them happened in
0: round three. I don't know if both
1: did I or thought not. they
0: both happened in round three, I'm pretty sure. That's yeah. when he threw the head kick that busted yes. up Petrosian's nose. Okay, It I was. Oh. To...
1: Uh, but, yeah, again, this is the round threes were insane. The judging, I'm trying. So, for Kim and Keshwara, this is where you and I really differed a lot, too. So, mm-hmm. I did score it for Kim rounds two and round three. Her output was insane. Her volume was insane. She was landing more accurately. Uh, but... Because I scored round one, obviously, for Keshwara. But round three, I I saw where, essentially, the judges switched and flipped to Priscilla to get the decision because she came on very strong that last probably minute to a minute and a half. She kept throwing elbows. like She, she was like, I'm not even throwing uh, punches anymore. I'm just going to swing elbows. She cut up uh, Kim real bad, was hurting her very badly. Brutal shots. I don't know how Kim even survived it, so... That was just an insane last minute and a half. I was shocked that it was unanimous, however, due to that output. I know she uh, Kim nearly doubled Keshwara in terms of like strikes landed. So I really thought, well, this is definitely a split as well. Because if Petrosian and Rodriguez was a split, there's no way this one's not a split. Well, no, it was unanimous for, unanimous for Keshwara. So again, it came down to that final minute for me. I was okay with either woman winning just like i was okay with either petrosian or rodriguez winning so i didn't really see too negatively on either decision i know you did for the women's fight which i'll let you touch on and i know a lot of people did in general for that women's fight in specific but for me both fights were a treat i had a lot of fun watching them judges are always going to be iffy but still i feel like in both fights either fighter could have won
0: I will agree with you in the Petrosian-Rodriguez fight that that was definitely the case. I actually scored that one. So weirdly enough, both fights, while they're each fights different, and I'm, it's comparing it, it's not really fair, but you saw two different judging criteria in yeah. each fight. Petrosian got the win over Rodriguez because he was the more active striker, the more yes. volume striker. While Rodriguez had bigger moments, more powerful shots, yep. and and had again he had multiple submission attempts, I scored that fight for Rodriguez actually, mm-hmm. um, and Petrosian got the win. But I wasn't upset about it because I kind of understood that one. I was like, okay, that was very close. Like the first round, I thought it felt like Rodriguez was winning, but then you look at the striking stats and like yeah. most of the shots Rodriguez was throwing weren't landing, right. Then we get to the keshwara Kim fight, where I truthfully just I don't really understand. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna be honest because I did score round one for Keshwara for her aggression. For mm. um, she had a couple good shots. I mean, she was missing a lot. Yeah. But she was more active, or not more. She was more aggressive. Yeah. And and did land a couple more powerful shots while Kim wasn't very active in that round. Right. There was a lot of missing strikes. You know, the whole yeah. invisible woman was getting beat up in the middle, you know. So, first round was kind of whatever. Then, round two and three, this fight really picked up. I mean, both yeah. of these fights, like you said, fantastic. And I got to yeah. give all four participants credit for going to war here. Unfortunately, I just think the decision ruined this cashware Kim fight for me because mm-hmm. rounds two and three, I thought G and Kim did a. Great job of striking at distance, Kashwara, Again, very aggressive. Went for it, and I respect the hell out of her for doing it. I mean, you yeah. go for it. She felt like she was down in round yeah. three, and that's why she fucking went for the kill. And yeah. yes, she was throwing crazy elbows. But I'm just gonna say it like defending punches with your face isn't really defense. And mm-hmm. she was getting peppered the entire rounds two and three. And while I understand that all strikes are created equal, just like I said about prospects earlier. So, <laughs> right. you know, you look at, that's why I don't love it. When people use striking stats as a means for their argument, where Kim outstruck cashware two to one, but it doesn't always tell the story of the fight. Yes. However, yes. I completely disagree with the assessment of round three that, Cashwara somehow, yes, the last minute and a half, she really put her foot on the gas and did land some nice elbows, had Kim hurt. But are we forgetting the moments Kim had in those two rounds as well, where she had Cashwara stumbling? And not to mention, I mean, again, is it really fair to say this? But I mean, look at their faces afterwards. Cashwara got lit up for rounds two and three, never dodged a punch, never did anything. I think that people bought too much into the moment. It was an exciting moment. Cashwara really fighting back in that last minute and a half. But guys, this isn't a Hollywood movie. You don't score a fight by someone how much heart someone shows or or how aggressive someone is. Jion Kim dominated this fight in rounds 2 and 3. And she was a clear winner. I, I think it's crazy to give Priscilla Cachoeira this fight. Crazy. I think there is a better argument for 30-27 on Kim than 29-28 hmm. I I can't believe it. I was shocked at this fight. And I'm going to even... I'm going to throw the word out there, Dom. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna this, is the out there. this is rare. This is rare, I never say this. <laughs> this was a robbery. By all intents and purposes, this was a robbery. Again, I think a lot of people... Watching this fight, if you go back and watch it again, without that emotional investment in the fight, I think you will see Kashwara misses a lot in this fight. And Gian Kim is very consistent in her attack. Now, I get it. It's not the most exciting attack. She's striking at range. Not all of her strikes are necessarily um, the most powerful of shots. While Mm -hmm. Kashwara was throwing fucking crazy But yeah. let's be honest, Priscilla Caswera is not a very good fighter, and that's why she fought the way she did. She was very aggressive because she didn't have a real attack to – she didn't have a real means of getting inside and, and getting that attack. Now, she did land some good shots, especially mm-hmm. in round three, but even some of those elbows weren't even landing. And again, Kim yeah. and Kim stumbled Cachoeira in that round bad. Had her hurt bad because, again, Cashwera was literally dodging punches with her face. That means she wasn't mm-hmm. dodging punches at all. I cannot <laughs> believe that the judges scored this fight for cash where I think it's a travesty and I can't, I'm really more shocked that fans are, are. I'm really not shocked that the fans are split because again, I don't think people watch this fight like super closely. Again, it was a whatever fight and going in, you know, it's where G on Kim, obviously the fight ended up being awesome and you probably were kind of glued to the screen But most people don't really score a fight live like, you know, maybe we do or, Mm -hmm. you know, those judges do. So I think, again, it's a lot of people getting invested in Keshwara's kind of comeback. And I think they liked her plan of attack better. It's more appealing to watch someone go for haymakers and kill punches than someone who stands on the outside and peppers you with, uh, There's a dog barking. I heard that. (laughs) It's just more exciting to watch that kind of style of fight. That's completely why anybody scores this fight for Keshwara. You can't change my mind. This fight was a robbery, 100%. Gian Kim got robbed. Anybody who bet on Jiyeon Kim got robbed. It was just a tough night to be in Jiyeon Kim's corner.
1: Yeah, I will say I love your point of how you said both fights – very inconsistent in terms of the way the winners were scored because you look at you know Petrosian won his fight because of he landed the more shots, more precise, quote unquote, just the volume more active. But then you look at the women's fight, it was the complete flip where the more aggressive Mm -hmm. the bigger shots landed, but the more active and more accurate more strikes landed for Kim ended up losing the fight. So That is, I think, just the most valid point of all in this whole discussion is to look at if we're going to do the judging you know, consistently across the board. It needs to be that way for every single fight. And you have these two where it was the complete opposite. So that is a fantastic point. And,
0: you know, I say that, but then I personally scored it inconsistently. (laughs) Exactly. I scored it for Gregory Rodriguez. Now, again, different fights, and I wasn't upset at that first fight, I was like, wow, I mean, okay. I, I was surprised that Patrician yeah. got the win. I was, but I, I I didn't feel all that, you know, bothered by the decision. But something about that Kim Cashworth yeah. fight just felt like, I mean, that I just can't get past that. And I, I just, I, I was kind of surprised at how many people were, like when I said it in the group text and your response was really, I was like, oh boy! I was like, I, I thought that like for sure everybody was going to be on the same page on that yeah. one, and I thought you were going to say you scored it for Cashwera and no. I, that that would have been a very interesting discussion. <laughs> yeah. And not like I'm not really like I'm not trying to you know uh, talk down anybody who scored this fight for Cashwera or you know wanted to see her win. I mean, I I understand like when you said like the reason why, yeah, I get it, I do. I just don't think you should have people in that position who are capable of being swung in the direction by that moment. Like, again, Mm -hmm. it was a moment people really buying into it, but I don't think that's not how you should judge a fight. So for fans at home saying they feel like like, that's fine, whatever, they say they don't actually – our opinions don't really matter, so – but the three judges to all three scored that fight for Kesware, and I know you're like, I'm surprised it was unanimous. It doesn't matter because if yeah. two of the three judges scored it, for Kesware, that's, yeah. that's too, too, many in my opinion. <laughs> right. So, I, you know, obviously this is more split than I was anticipating. So it's like, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and have a call to action to remove <laughs> these judges. But I mean, yeah. it, I'm just, uh, it was an inconsistent night. But again, I kind of scored it inconsistently myself. So, I mean, what do I know? You
1: know? And basically what this means is we want you all to comment below and tell us who did you score both these fights for.
0: I mean, I think it it definitely makes me rethink, and we'll probably talk about this on Friday for the nosebleeds, definitely makes me second guess betting on a winner by decision. I yeah, mean, yeah. I picked, I picked Andre Arlovsky to win by decision, and that was a split. Yeah. And Jared Vandura had no business winning that fight. And some judge scored it for him. You know, it's just stuff like that. It definitely makes me second guess that moving forward. But, you know, luckily I did not do that here. So that did not add to the anger. But, you know, not the best betting night in general. So maybe that didn't help anything. (laughs) Anyways, let's talk about some things, some bright spots on this card. Yeah. We ended our prelims, Dominic, with Ignacio Baja Mondes, the 24-year-old prospect, getting the submission win over wrong Yeah. who's also only 21 years old. Uh, also rocking the pink hair. I thought it looked really nice there. It did the look good, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, he got that submission in round three, a minute, 40 seconds in. I believe it was a Bravo joke. So, mm-hmm. Dominic, Bahamandas, the striking specialist, the guy who had one of the KOs of the year last year, gets a submission win. What are your thoughts on him?
1: The first submission win of his entire career, Noah, and what a moment for him. It was a, Really, it was his fight from start to finish. He looked really good, very composed, was landing very precisely, very accurately. Rongzhu, known to be more of a an aggressor, and he just couldn't really click it in this fight, truthfully. Bahamundas was just one step ahead the whole time. Uh, in round three, Rongzhu had to go balls to the wall and try and get a finish. It ended up being to his detriment. Uh, Bahamundas was able to capitalize on an opening and pull off that very impressive submission. Uh, so a great performance by the young 24-year-old coming off of you know the biggest moment of his career last year. Now he gets it again he makes it two wins in a row uh, at only 24 years old. six three, tied for the biggest man in the lightweight division with Joel Alvarez, who was also on this card. Um, but, yeah, he got the job done, and he looked damn good doing it. It was a very impressive performance. And for Rongzu, 21 years old, he's 1-2 in the UFC. Uh, there's still potential there, but this night belonged to Baja Mondays, and as of now, the ceiling, I believe, is a bit higher for Baja Mondays as well
0: yeah wrongzo needs to move up. he's only twenty one years old and he's already struggling to make lightweight. It's only gonna get harder as he gets yeah older. what was it four so pounds you said I think it was five or, yeah or I guess four because he was hundred sixty pounds yeah hundred and fifty six four pounds over he he needs to just go up it's it's mm-hmm. it's not gonna get any easier as he gets older. he's twenty one years old and he can't make one hundred and fifty five pounds. you're just not a hundred and fifty five pounder it's just uh right. That's the story there. But, yes, Ignacio Baja looked fantastic. Moving on from that, Terrence McKinney mm-hmm. getting the submission win over Ferraziano. A lot of submissions on this card. And also in the first round, two minutes, 11 seconds in, we knew going into this fight how explosive that uh, Terrence McKinney could be. If you just go to his Wikipedia page or his Sherdog page, you can see that. All yeah. these first-round finishes... Obviously, we'd only seen seven seconds of him in the UFC, if you don't count the contender series where he actually lost via knockout. Um, I believe that was Deshaun Woodson, I want to say. So, you know, interesting. He's a stud, fan. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so much as that, just a glance at the guy's history, you tell you yeah. how good he can be. And, you know, it might tell you a different story than what this fight really showed. Um, I think he's gotten a lot of credit for his knockout power, which is very, very powerful, very explosive, very fast. But Dominic, his background really is in the wrestling and in that ground game, and that showed here. And I was surprised yeah. that he was able to do it so seamlessly he against did. such a a defensively sound fighter as Farasiyam, which I thought it was great matchmaking. I really did, even yeah. though... McKinney kind of ran through him here and made it look easy. Ziam is, while not exactly put it together all offensively, I think. I think he still has some work to do there. Defensively, he's been a very sound fighter. And you're mm-hmm. going against this guy that just shoots out of a rocket and is immediately like looking for a finish in round one. Right. And Terence McKinney gets it done again. Funny moment uh, on the broadcast where Michael Bisping said that Zion was fine in the choke. He said he's fine. He's <laughs> yeah. Go out here. yeah. And then he would just tapped immediately. So yeah. that was kind of funny. There was a couple of moments like that for Bisping. It was uh, kind of an iffy night, at least in that way, where he kind of said something. Then a couple of moments later, it was like the other thing came true. So yeah. it was kind of tough there. But Terrence McKinney looking like another stud prospect for his lightweight division, Dom.
1: Yeah, I mean, there it is right there. Another prospect for 155. This weight class is so stacked, and it just continues to uh, add talent to it. Terrence McKinney, this was like a performance you wanted to see, though, because what seven seconds show us? We know you got the power, right? We know that, mm-hmm. but we got to see your full game. And to for him to not eat, this fight really didn't even take place on the feet because he missed the shot, and then he it went, was a yeah, weird... He
0: went for a, a left hand that kind of whiffed, and yeah. he just sort of like fell, Yeah, and then they kind of... <laughs> I don't know. he was there like was over a, top of Firas, it was a bit of a it sp- was a bit of a sprawl and yeah mckinney ended up on top
1: and it was seamless from there on out on the ground he really got to show that skill set down there um it, all 12 wins that he has now are via finish uh, 11 out of 12 in the first round this guy is exciting on the feet he's exciting on the ground and a legitimate now prospect for this lightweight division 2-0 and in the ufc
0: Speaking of prospects, we move back to Bellator 275, Dominic, and the younger brother of Zabit, Kassan Magomed Sharipov, at just 21 years old, is now <laughs> 3-0, I believe, in Bellator. He gets the decision win over Jose Sanchez. I think Sanchez lasted a lot longer than people thought. But the story here, the young Magomed Sharipov looking like uh, just, another, just another one of these Dagestani killers, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, too, with him and Zabit both. It's not just that wrestling. Like, yes, that's the bread and butter. They can go to that and look amazing throughout a fight but they're still so good on the feet too. And that's what separates those two from a lot of these other, you know, Dagestan wrestlers. So for Magomed Sherry, Paul, 21 years old, seven and oh, I think four or five fights via finish. This was pure dominance from start to finish for the most part, outside of the early bits of round one, it was all him. And uh, a very impressive performance with that name value Zabit in his corner, by the way, very nice to see mm-hmm. Bellator is going to more than likely look to capitalize on that name and shoot him up as fast as they can, which I can't blame. I,
0: they might take it slow though. They've done that with some of their prospects before. They, they don't, it's, it, they, they're kind of, uh, sometimes they're a little inconsistent on how fast they push people. <laughs> I, yeah. Kassan's only 21 years old. There's no need to like get this no, guy. You... Take your time. You know, I understand yeah. here he was like a minus 1200 favorite and you know, that's, that's the Bellator thing that they do a lot of times. Yeah. I don't blame them for doing it because they bring these guys in so young, so green. you got to just give them some experience before they're ready to fight the best of the best. I mean, I I believe uh, Kassan is a Bantamweight, I believe. So, you know, a lot of talent in the Bantamweight division in Bellator. And... Really, Bantamweight is kind of, cap. it's sort of surpassing lightweight, it feels like at times, as far as the most talent stack division in all of MMA. So yes, no need to push this guy too fast. But I'm glad he had a main card spot here. And, I mean, didn't get a finish, but dominated the entire fight. Yep. Zabit, what's going on, man? Come on. I know.
1: We got to see him. The beard's still
0: there. The hair's still there. (laughs) He looks the same. He looks the same. Come on, man. (laughs) Come back. Come home. Come home. Please. Please. Uh, lending here with one FC full circle, Vitali big dash in the trilogy fight. He gets the nod over Angla Sang via unanimous decision. You know, not a ton of takeaways here. It was a pretty, yeah. do- it was a pretty one-sided showing I would say for Vitali. And I think I had more like, obviously we came into this trilogy that fans of one FC have been very invested in for a long time. We came into it late. is it the first fight we got to see live of the three. I know the second fight is like this, you know, highly regarded fight in <laughs> yeah. one's uh, history. Here it wasn't that kind of fight. It did, you know, but it, at the end you did kind of feel the moment a bit. Like it felt like the end of an era. You got the ten year anniversary card coming up and at the end of the month, so it's like it feels like a lot of pieces are in play for like the next era, the next yeah. decade of one FC. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts specifically about either of these two, but it seems like for Ang LaSong, just the best days are behind him at this point.
1: Yeah, that's what it felt like. And it was just, you know, to cap off that trilogy, we now have, you know, Big Dash, uh, two to one, right? It was one to one going into Mm -hmm. that. So, and he just implemented his grappling and, you know, LaSong had no answers for it really throughout the whole fight. It was fun while it was on the feet, but for the most part, like you said, uneventful. But just a nice cap off two veterans that have been doing it a long time. It felt
0: right. And that's going to wrap it up for this weekend recap edition. Let us know your thoughts on all the fights that took place over the weekend. And Dominic, we got a pretty big week ahead. Oh, yes. Because it's yes, all dedicated. There's no <laughs> there ain't no Nothing. three, four cards. I mean, it is all UFC 272 masvidal versus covington it's coming up saturday so we're gonna have the weekend preview for that card on friday uh, thursday excuse me and then friday we're gonna have the nosebleeds for that card as well i'm still looking for that bounce back but dominic's still pushing along i'm trying Um, also friday pfl challenger series uh women's lightweight division we'll talk about on the sunday recap Will Dominic spend the $64.99 on Fubo? I don't think so.
1: But... Probably not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, until then, Dominic, that's going to wrap it up here. I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Lee. We're the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, and we'll see you all on Thursday.
1: Damn right.